Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast with me, Russell Guyver, and my usual co-host, Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. How are you doing? Yeah, looking good. Looking good with your um, mood lighting in the background there. Very nice. Very nice. Um, we've, we've had some confusion recently because we've got two Andy B's in situ at the moment, um, and we've we've avoided confusion by inviting them both on at the same time just to make things even more complicated. So hello to Andy Bass and to Andy Bravery. Good day Hi. to you, boys. Afternoon. Uh, Afternoon. Excellent. And um, we are five today because I've also invited on a mate of mine, an old friend from a few, quite a few years back, um, whose surname, Tipple, you'll probably recognise for the fact his elder brother, Simon, has been on the show in the past, a few months ago. It's uh, Richard Tipple. Hi, Rich. How's hey, Russ. You? I'm all Welcome good, thank to the you. Show. Thank you. Um, you yeah, I'm loving the background. It's got a surreal kind of, it looks like an aurora borealis or something going on in the background there. I'm not sure what that is. Um, <laughs> it's nice. anything to hide the state of the spare room that I'm sat in right now. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not great. Good tactics, like it. As I mentioned off air, I'm wearing a hat due to a, um, a rather crude lockdown haircut, which I'm not going to reveal to anyone. Um, other than that, I think it's... Um, it's moving swiftly on with today's agenda. We're going to be talking to you, Rich, about your Albion story, just getting a background on when you became a fan, how, why, and how painful it's been for you on a scale of one to ten. Um, and then we'll be also talking, of course, about the most recent game we've had, the Villa match at the weekend, which ended goalless um, in what's probably overall a decent result, all things considered. Um, although we can also maybe count ourselves disappointed not to have won based on the way we were playing. Uh, but we'll get into that later on. Let's start first with you, Rich, and um, your Albion story, backstory. Tell us about it. How did you come to be an Albion fan? And when was that? Uh, well, the moment I was born, really. Like like most Brighton fans, probably didn't have much of a say in it. Uh, my my dad was going to make me a Brighton fan. He had, he had gone to you know games for, for decades uh, with his sister, and my, he'd been taking my older brother along. And uh, it was my turn um, as soon as I was old enough to sort of stand up for 45 minutes without complaining <laughs> I was uh, I was along to the Goldstone. Excellent yeah I mean you, you could say it's pretty cruel a cruel upbringing isn't it really to, to bring your kids up as Brighton fans but uh, <laughs> no I mean well in that era maybe um, because so what so what, what age were you talking in terms of how old were you when you went to your first game and, and when was that exactly? Well I was about eight or nine um, so sort of yeah, yeah you're um, so 1996 was probably my first game um I can't really remember anything of it I've got fleeting memories of being uh taken along to, to the Goldstone um absolutely you know <laughs> loved it but didn't really know what was going on half the time um but yeah the, the, the Goldstone was uh was sort of where I first started started going but it was uh it was when I got my first season ticket was at the Priestfield um and mm. and weirdly that's where I sort of fell in love with with Brighton and, and football. 
uh, and it sort of kind of <laughs> became the story in my life as it is now. But yeah, it's um, it's funny. I was probably because it was my very first season going to see football at the Priestfield. I didn't really understand quite how miserable that journey was and quite how low we'd we'd sunk to to get to that point. Um, it was all just sort of new and exciting. Yeah. Uh, well, it sounds like almost like a holiday romance, doesn't it? <laughs> <I'll> see, <laughs> a two year vacation. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, and, and I mean, so obviously it was, a, it was a strange time. And when we were obviously struggling, but gradually working our way towards the, the Mickey Adams period and, um, and better times. But in those very first years, who was your, uh, who were your favorite players then? Cause I'm thinking this was probably Jeff Minton kind of era, people like that, isn't it? Yeah. I love Jeff Minton. Yeah, absolutely yeah. love Jeff Minton. He's, he, I think he was our top goal scorer, possibly, in the first season I started going. He was, um, yeah, he was one of our standout players in a, in a squad that wasn't that wasn't great. Um, but yeah, um, uh, Richie Barker, I like obviously Stuart Storer, um, all of those players. Anyone who sort of was quite recognisable as as quite a young kid stood out. You know, um, I remember when I first started going to the, to the goals, that, um, Steve Foster and, and the headband and everything was like a really. <laughs> I could pick him out from a distance. So he, he soon became my favourite player. And, you know, then Kurt Nogan came along and he started scoring goals and all of that. So, yeah, it was, um, I would say, uh, the first player I, I, I really loved was probably Jeff Minton. Mm. Yeah, he was, he was a good player for his time, wasn't he? We haven't, I don't think we've actually mentioned him on the show before, possibly when we're doing our Albion 11s from certain eras or something. But, uh, yeah, it's an un- unsung hero in a way. He's kind of someone almost half forgotten now. Um it's almost people like Peter Smith, isn't it, guys, who are sort of uh, remembered more as a sort of cult figure of the time um, with his funny sort of spindly legs and everything. Um, and uh, I think he scored a classic own goal, didn't he, in one game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. In terms of um, going to the matches as well, because you um, I presume your dad was taking you along at the time. And um, so were you all going... Obviously, you've got a younger brother, Chris, who I suppose might have been too young to go or to remember that era. But um, were you all going along together? Was it all driving in the car? We'd all go, yeah, all in a convoy. My aunt, my nan, um, my older brother, my younger brother, my dad. Um, we'd all we'd all go home and away. Yeah. You know, it was it was great. It, it was such a brilliant childhood, really, because you know you went to the Priestfield every, every weekend, and then you know every other weekend it was an away trip to somewhere I'd never been before so you would all get in the car and go to you know Peterborough or wherever whoever we were playing that week you know um it was uh it was it was great and it was just constant football even if the football was fairly rubbish it was it was still football <laughs> and it was the you know being on the sidelines and the day out and the burgers and you know seeing all the friendly faces and stuff it's a really really great way to spend your weekends yeah and then obviously onto the Widdean, um, some classic years there, four promotions in the 12 years when all said and done, even though it had no sustainability long term, we did still manage to have some happy times there. Again, it's almost cult memories, isn't it, really, in one sense. Um, and w- when did you start going on your own, so to speak, in terms of with mates rather than family? Or, or is that not the case? Have you always gone with the family? I, I, well, I still I meet friends there and I'll meet friends in the pub, but it's still, you know, I'll go with my brothers and my, and my dad. Uh, we all just go as a family, really. Um, but yeah, the with the with Dean was so brilliant, wasn't it? I I never thought I would miss it <laughs> in the way I do. <laughs> Have this kind of strange nostalgia for you know the the guy that used to call programs and holding yeah. the board up at half time with the with Dean wager and all of Get those that board out of, the way. Yeah, all of that, you know, and the, and the, the soggy chips and and you know getting absolutely <laughs> drenched when it rained and. Um, all yeah, but the soggy things. chips are compulsory because of the <laughs> weather. It rained oh, every yeah. single week, didn't it? <laughs> Felt like to, it. to get away and go to this shiny new stadium. Um, and it's, I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. But there's a part of, there's a huge part of me that misses the the glory of the Withdean years. And hmm. just the, you know, when we'd get, you know, when we got like Man City in the cup or something, and the fans would rock up and they would see that Withdean, that literally they couldn't compute it and I'm absolutely certain we got some of the results we did there because players thought they were playing a sort of training match or something and and we were giving it everything it was an incredible yeah. incredible time really so many so many good memories my my best memories I think actually 
yeah formative years so to speak in, in one sense and I, I noticed both the Andes were smiling away in the background at some of the comments there um, so we'll bring you in if you've got any uh, any words on that one I, I'm not sure if Peter's smiling away because he's got film noir lighting going on so I can't actually see his facial expression I know he's there but uh, <laughs> apart from that but anyway yeah uh, Andy bravery yeah, yeah I, was about, I was about to check I am the one wearing the glasses I thought for a second there it was Richard wearing the rose tinted glasses I mean we were both at we've been together but I'd and I was certainly sharing some of the adversity, but I don't think I can quite give it the description he's given it. <laughs> um, no. And, well, and, well, brilliant, and, you mean. and given his dues, though, if the first full year you watched Brighton was our first year at the Priestfield, because I, I, I think that was probably the worst Brighton team I ever saw. And we just stayed up because of um, Darlington were even worse. So to stick with it after that, Richard, fair juice to you, mate. Oh, well, I had no choice. <laughs> it was, I do remember it was dreadful. And it was a time where um, even even now, if you walk past a school or something or a park and you see kids wearing Brighton shirts, I still absolutely love that. Because I, I remember really distinctly when I was a kid at school and I was wearing my Brighton shirt, the comments, you know, were, were pretty unkind. And absolutely every other kid in the class would have, you know, Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, whoever. And um, and I never saw the point, though, because they never went to the game. So I never quite understood how they could feel so superior. But it yeah. was um, it was it was very tough at the time. But actually, I think, you know, looking back on it, fair play. I think my dad did the right thing there. Like, you've got to do a, you've got to do the hard numbers, haven't you? And see through for those tough seasons to enjoy the highs. Yeah, back to you, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say total respect to that because um, I, I was I was probably at the the luckier end. So um, as you can see, I'm a lot older than you. And um, when I started to watch Brighton, it was um, tail end of um, seventy five, seventy six. So we were on the way up. But actually, what changed it? Two things changed it for me. One was all my mates at that time supported Liverpool, and like yourself, I wanted to support a team I could go and watch. Um, unlike yourself, actually, at the same, they were at the time they were much more watchable, and I was lucky that my dad wanted to go and take me. Otherwise, there's no way a, you know, a, a, a nine, ten year old kid's going to be going to the football at that age unless they've got an adult that's going to take them. And my son now, I mean, he struggles with the same thing. When he turns up in his Brighton kit, he gets a lot of grief. But to be fair to him, he's turning up while living in Croydon, so things don't go down so well up here. <laughs> but he's um, he's adamant. He's not changing, and my six year old daughter. She turns up for football training in her Brighton top as well, and it's great to see. And the coach, who is a Palace fan, he just shakes his head in despair. But there you go. And there's usually a few, usually a few Millwall, Millwall um, um, kids there that you know they they join they join forces with the um, the Brighton kids and um, or my Brighton kids, and uh, give the grief to the um, the kids who turn up with the Palace shirts. Not as many <laughs> as you think either. There's plenty of Man United and Liverpool fans up there as well. I can tell you. I was going to say, to, to be fair, um, you can probably, your son probably could act superior, really, given given where exactly he is located. Um, so he, <laughs> um, there is that. But uh, Peter, yeah. yeah. yeah I was going to say, I think it is a, a little bit of a, maybe a, when you started watching things, I actually really agree with what Richard's saying about the with team, because for me, it was literally the first success we ever had in my time watching. We did, in, I literally, I think I said before, start at the beginning of the 90s, we got to the playoff final, the final that year. And after that, it was just a one long drop down the leagues. And we've seen actually changed that. We won things, you know, we won two titles in consecutive years. We won the playoff final. We had the brilliant promotion at the end. And even the, you know, the, we had that survival season, which was brilliant as well, the one where we stood up on the last day. And actually things like that, it is quite exciting when you, when you face them just before that statutory failure. And we've been dreadful. You know, it does, I think it does have a different, obviously you guys had the success beforehand, whereas, We'd literally not had anything like that. It was Brighton have been terrible most of the time I've been watching. It is, it is quite ironic, really, that it was probably, uh, in terms of, you know, trophies and promotions, our most successful period ever. I think that the two years at, um, the two years at, um, at Gillingham, I think I was mostly filled, though, with fear that we were not going to get back to Brighton and we were actually just going to mm. die a whimper. But once we got back to Brighton, you know, it, I mean, you're right. You're right, Peter. I mean, there were, Amongst, if not in terms of actual winning trophies, the most successful years of um, of Brighton's history. It's quite ironic, really. And it came from literally off the back of an era where we couldn't have been worse. We we finished twenty third in Division Three, I think, in that season at, at Priestfield. Um, we we stayed up by 
default, I think, because yeah. oh God, who was below us? Was it, it Doncaster? Was it Doncaster? Yeah, yeah. They, they really, you know, they were, they were, they were out. They were out for the count from before the board had been mm-hmm. kicked, I think. But it was, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a tough watch, um, a very tough watch, um, and we didn't have any players capable of of changing the game. You didn't go into any match with any sort of expectation that you might be getting a result. You just sort of went along and, and tried to support the, the lads the best you could. Um, but that really changed as soon as we had started doing well and Mickey Adams came in where suddenly there's the expectation that we were going to do well. And there was this wave of disappointment when we conceded in the last minute and dropped points and, and what have you. And it was just, it was really strange in the space of like, I don't know, three, four seasons or something to go from a mentality where you were like, I can't, oh, brilliant. You know, we, we've got a point against, you know, Barnet. That's going to, you know, that's a huge point. Um, to being really disappointed when we've, you know, we've lost out against a, a team who, you know, historically are a lot bigger than us and we're playing in a, a much higher level. It's, it's a bit of a weird one. I mean, you're, you're yeah. right. Um, I thought, I know it began with a D. I thought it was Darlington, but you're right, it was Doncaster. I think as well, when we, we got back, we just, it was the first time for a long time I'd also heard us starting to chant the names of the players again. Yeah, I think that, I think oh, that, it is my favourite Albion team. I think ever that kind of the one that carried on for years as well. A lot of them still were playing when we were back in the what's now the Championship, and even dropping into League One again in the, the second relegation, they were still playing for us, and they were such a good team that Adams put together. You know, and obviously we added to it over the time, but the, you know the the likes of Cullip and Watson and obviously Mora as well, although he didn't stay quite so long for obvious reasons. But you know, the kind of that team was just so good, and they you know they no one really kind of. And comes close in terms of the success, you know, going to, up twice in a row was brilliant achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that um, that Adams one team was just was just great to watch in in a totally different way to the way that this team is is also great to watch. It was just that sort of grit, gritty, gritty football. Um, the hard, hard physical edge, but you know, a little bit of some culture to it. But that, I mean, I echo exactly what Richard said about about the with Dean being great and, and Peace as well. I loved it. That was my first period of, of becoming an Albion fan. So when I started watching mm. the Albion regularly, was at um, was at the with Dean, and um, it was brilliant. I loved it. I loved the atmosphere, <laughs> the lack of atmosphere. But I loved the people around me. The fact that you, you knew you knew everybody. You you felt that you were all on a journey together. The fight for Falmer, um, the Robert E Memorial Fund, all these things sort of brought everybody who went. The sort of four to six thousand people that were there for the whole duration of of the of the of the, of the with Dean experience. And then as more people joined in, as we got more successful towards the end, and then and then taking that that merry band of people over to the Amex, you know, and who are all still there. All the people I saw that with Dean are all, you know, I still see them every match. Um, yeah. It's, it's terrific. Absolutely. And, and we should say at that point, actually, um, Rich, but bring it back to your story. Um, obviously you are, uh, well, I'll say, obviously you are a season ticket holder at the Amex as well. Um, North stand, isn't it? Um, from the beginning and how have you found it going into the Amex? Describe what, what it means to you initially, that, that game against Doncaster as it, as it happened um, yeah. and and then beyond. It was just um, completely overwhelming, I think, that first game for me. I just absolutely... I, the the only time I'd ever seen anything like it was the um, the playoff final in Cardiff. You know, when we, I, I was on like the, the second tier or whatever, right at the front, and I was just looking out, and it was thirty thousand Brighton fans, and there were flags waving, and like, I just thought this is something I'm never, ever, ever going to experience again. This is incredible. And then suddenly, I was at the Amex, and there were like thirty thousand Brighton fans and flags, and all this pre-match music, and all this hype, and all this stuff happening, and I was like. Christ, I'm going to have this every other Saturday. I thought yeah. this was like a once in a lifetime sort of experience, but it, it, it still feels like that now, you know, like the, the little pre-match montage um, 
and all the all the stuff that they have going on and um i'm really glad we ha- we haven't seen the the, cl- the clappers again but the all of the sort of stuff that they do to introduce a bit of an atmosphere to it i think i think is great um and I, yeah i i still i still just find it weird that that's our stadium and we've we've sort of arrived and we're a premier league club and we have been for a few years and it's it's bizarre it's brilliant though isn't it i mean wow yeah, we, we couldn't be happier really with what we've got nowadays. Um, and I saw Andy Bash, you're nodding along uh, pretty enthusiastically to that. Um, I, I take it you go along with that, that, that the whole thing about the um, the montage and all the, the build-up stuff? Because some, some people don't like that, do they, if traditionalists? But, um, I love it. You're... It works It works for me. Um, and you, you see other teams doing it now, but I can't remember seeing that sort of build-up to, to games at other stadiums. Um prior to us going to the Amex. And I just think we, I just think we, we nailed that really well. You still feel that burst of pride when you're watching the, watching the montage and hearing like horror and uh, all that sort of stuff. It still gets you. And, you know, and we've been there, we've been there a while now. It shouldn't still have that impact, but I mean, for me it does, which I think is testament to how good, how good it is. Um, yeah. I think, the other thing is, and there was a lot of criticism around it from some quarters, again, traditionalists or whatever, about that, or people saying it looked a bit twee, but that thing with the, the Sussex by the Sea, and we had the words on the screen at one point, didn't we? Which is a bit twee, it's a bit, oh, but you want it, you're getting a whole load of new fans or returning fans, particularly a lot of young family goers um, as well coming along to games. So you kind of have to incorporate that, I think. I think it was a good shout to do that for a bit forever but to do it for a bit just to get people um well indoctr- indoctrinated into the song yeah. and, i'll have to do uh, it again culture. after the uh, when we go back because everyone's forgotten the way to revise before we all go back <laughs> especially for any of us that didn't go in that in the ballot for those two games such as myself i just yeah it's been forever since i've been been there um, maybe that could be the ballot that you could like have to recite sussex by the sea off by heart without uh Without looking it yeah, up, it could, you do you can get it in. It could be like a American citizenship test or something, couldn't it? You have to you have to know all the words to to the song before you're allowed in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it is great and it's a good tradition. I do love what they're doing with Sussex by the Sea now. The whole thing of really booming out. You're getting tons of people singing that, which you never used to have in such numbers before. And the cutting off the music, so you're just seeing a cappella is absolutely brilliant. I love that. And, and I think we sing it all the louder for the fact we know it's coming and, you know, it's, it's a chance to really punch home the whole camaraderie, all of us together and all that sort of thing. Almost with a cursory glance at the away fans as you do it as well, isn't it? Particularly yeah. if it's um, a certain team we've got playing uh, next up, uh, albeit that we won't be there on this occasion. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, who can I be thinking of? Yeah. We'll, we'll do a separate preview podcast, by the way, for... Uh, for Palace, so stay tuned to that separately. Um, but yeah, in terms of um, we've obviously Peter and I being both London uh, residents, Andy having been originally from London, Andy Bass that is, and Andy Bravery being from Sussex like myself, but having moved up to London like myself many years ago, there's quite a London theme. Um, Rich, like Andy Bass, you are down in Sussex, but dot 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 that's uh tell us the story of how we know each other if yeah. you can remember the details <laughs> slightly random <laughs> so um brighton born and bred um and i'm back down here now but i i was in london for about um nine years or something um, when i went up for university and then stayed for work um and while i was uh, up there i lived um lived in enfield and i was visited by my brother one weekend and we both happened to be walking uh, down the road wearing our brighton shirts when this, Simon, uh, the older brother, isn't old, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, suddenly this car came kind of like careering down the road at the window up and go, Oi, Brighton, Brighton, oi! I thought, oh, here we go, Palace, all, all over it. Uh, but it wasn't, it, it, it was Russ, um, who was just delighted to see Brighton fans in Enfield. Um, so we had a chat, we exchanged numbers, um, we went to the pub to watch the, uh, watch the games. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it was it was good. We had our own sort of little uh, exiles <laughs> club. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when when was that actually because I, I can't put a date on it now. I can't remember. Uh, Two thousand eight. Be... Okay, yeah, yeah. So cushion thirteen years now. Nice. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's all good. And um, yeah, been 
firm friends ever since. And um, in fact, um, gave you driving lessons as well. You while, did. While you're up in London. You did, yeah, <laughs> you did. And I passed first time, so thanks very well. Thanks for your well, help. you us. know. <laughs> um, but yeah, you've been back down in Brighton for, how long have you been back down now for about five or six years, is it? Uh, Maybe yeah, more about now. five years. Yeah, yeah. Family down there as well. And you've yeah. got a little one, haven't you? Is, are you already indoctrinating said little one into the way of the Albion? Has he got... It, I've, I've got it two. Oh, is it I've two? Got, it's I've two got, now. Yeah, I've got two now. I've got two girls. Um, yeah, and they both got, they both got Brighton kits. Um, Excellent. But they're, they're two and four, so they're, they're not quite on the season ticket waiting list yet. <laughs> Mind <laughs> you, sort I, that well, I don't, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if things have changed with COVID and, and what's happened with that, whether the numbers have changed a lot, but um, it probably is a good idea to get them on the waiting list now, I think. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be right. <laughs> give, them the, give them the figures. <laughs> um, and just bring it on to recent times. What have you made of the Albion in recent times? Um, obviously, we're, we're doing okay at the moment now, results-wise. We're playing well. Um, what have you made of? Well, what have you made of the Hutton era in the Prem uh, and and beforehand? And what have you made of Potter? I um I'll be honest I I'm I'm a huge fan of, of Chris Hutton. I think what he did to our club is incredible. Um, it's it's one thing having a, a top championship team. It's another actually delivering on that and getting promoted. There's a lot of of teams in the championship um, in the past, particularly that have excellent squads with loads of experience, a lot of money being spent on them, and they don't get it across the line. Um, we did. With with Hutton, um, and not only did he get us up, he kept us up. Um, and I, I I was just I'm quite a fan of his kind of pragmatic approach. I think he actually had us playing some good football. I think there was it's very easy to to sort of look back and say, oh, it was you know um, a deep block of Duffy and Dunk, and the football was terrible and what have you. But actually, um, we didn't get to the Premier League by playing terrible football and I don't think we stayed up by playing terrible football either you know um, we when we had our moments played some really really good stuff you know and we had players like kind of with, with pace and like Izquierdo and for example that you know that there's goals that we scored in the Hutton era that are absolutely brilliant team efforts so um, I, I fight quite strongly when I, I see the past sort of being rewritten as he was a sort of pulis type um who kept us up really just by defending because I don't think that's fair, but he was pragmatic and he, he sort of had us playing in a way that played to the strengths of the squad that we had. Um, we have changed under, un, under Potter uh, and definitely for the better. The football we're playing now is absolutely um, incredible, but I don't think that necessarily should take away from what Chris Hutton achieved or the, or the football he achieved with us. Um, I, I love both managers for, for different reasons. Um, really, yeah. really glad that Potter's getting the results because I was quite critical uh, up to a point this season where I felt like perhaps there were inex- he was slightly an inexperienced manager, which sounds incredibly harsh, actually, when you look at where he's come from and stuff. But um because I like the pragmatism of Chris Hutton, there were times where I felt like I really wanted Potter to give the lads the hairdryer treatment at halftime. And, and, uh, and perhaps that isn't the sort of really clever tweaks to the system that Potter introduces and the roles that he gets certain players using. It's absolutely next level. And, and what Potter knows about football, I, I am nowhere near and will never be at that level. So I have to just trust that he knows what he's doing and he's doing a brilliant job. And the football we're playing is amazing. But there are times where it's going against you, where you just want a little bit more passion. And you want, you know, when we're losing points in the last minute and you think maybe just shouting at the players will help. That's perhaps my level of, of management and why I've never made a career in it. But uh, it's, it's, you know, he's, things have changed for the better and we're playing great football. Uh, the, we haven't quite found that striker perhaps that's going to turn us from a, you know, into into a club that's going to start pushing up into mid table safety already. But yeah, it's it's the future's bright as far as I can see. Yeah, and in terms of the team now, we'll get on to the Villa game in a minute. But um, in terms of the team that we've got at this stage, aside from what you said about strikers, um, 
what's the, what's the biggest positives for you at the moment? Has it been the advent of Sanchez? Has it been the improvements of players like March? Or has it been the, the starry or the rising star nature of the pursumers of this world as well? What, what's been catching your to, eye the most for all of it? One, one particular element. I think a lot of the points that we've dropped this year has, uh, have been to naivety. Um, and mm. I think when it was, it was particularly transparent when we played Villa, how good they were at going down with the slightest of touches and the, the sort of dark arts and the game management when they knew they weren't playing at their best and we were on the upper hand, they, they, they sort of killed the momentum and they were, they were very clever um, and they're very savvy in the way that, that they played. And I see that with a lot of teams that have a lot of Premier League experience. And I feel like the most exciting thing at the moment is how many incredibly talented young players we have. I look at the team sheet and I see the likes of like McAllister and now Zate and Bissouma. And these players could have huge careers. They're incredibly talented. They're playing amazing football. And if they forget to break up a play at a certain minute, you know, and that that's going to come with experience. And I actually feel like it's going to be such a good learning curve this year. We just need to stay up by hook or by crook. And next season, I think they'll have this whole period to reflect on and to think, you know, well, how could we manage these games better? We you know what sort of things should we be doing to, to see these games out. Um, and it's, it's, it's I'd, I would expect naivety from, from young players and that's sort of what we're getting, but we're also getting an incredibly exciting future with, players that potentially could could take us to Europe with a couple yeah. of you know additions that click but I don't yeah. know what those additions are you can't just throw money at the situation everyone seems to be saying I'll sign a proven striker but I've seen plenty of clubs spend a lot of money on on strikers that have turned out to be absolute duds so um, I don't think there's an off-the-shelf solution I think you just got to keep working at it and that's what we're doing. Yeah, hopefully somebody would come come up from within, perhaps. We've signed a young Irish lad, I think. I've forgotten his name now, but he, someone like him, for example, he, you know, sounds like a prospect, might come to nothing. But on the other hand, he could turn out to be the star from within. Who knows? Um, but it's, it's certainly great stuff. I mean, I, we're on, after the Villa game, we're now on an unbeaten run of six league games, which is our best in the Premier League era. It's also our best since 1981. So two years backtracking into our previous period in the top flight and it makes me wonder actually what you've just been talking about rich about um it's difficult to contextualize because of the big gap between the two eras but this feels like our best ever squad um it's a bit hard to tell because i was although i'm older than you I was, I was still only about eight when i started going to games glory hunting in the in the first year of the top flight 79 80 um we had some great players there as you know we had laura who's been on the show recently and we've had Robbie Horton, we have Peter O'Sullivan, Peter Ward, all sorts of great players. It feels as if maybe collectively, maybe individually, this might even be the best squad ever. And I think Andy Bravery is probably the only person that might be able to uh, to kind of give any any further uh, light on this one. What, what do you think? Do you reckon that's about right? It's hard. It's hard to tell yeah, from first hand experience. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I, I suppose if I'm being honest, I'm not. I'm not a great. I'm not a great one for comparing eras, but I do it's think difficult, isn't it? Yeah, but I do think we are, we have the potential um, to actually certainly to pass anything we've achieved in the in the Premiership. And and you know for the first time, looking at the way we're actually managing games at the moment and the teams we're playing against, who when they play other games look quite good, and we're making them look pretty ordinary. For the first time, I've actually thought, well, you know, yes, we've one or two significant um, additions or one or two players who just move to the next level um, and stay with us that maybe we could be near the top 10. Maybe we could, mm. maybe we won't, but maybe we could. I mean, I, that's the thing for me that's changed in the last six or seven games is our ability to manage the game and to manage it out, out, you know, for 90 odd minutes. Because as I said, at one of the um, Seagulls Over London chats, you know, because I, I love, I get fascinated by um, fans mentality you know, when you look at it, we're not scoring any more goals than we scored all season. And everyone said, oh, it's about the fact we're not scoring enough goals. But all of a sudden, the fans now are saying we're playing great football and, you know, we're right behind the manager. And the only thing that's that's really changed for me is clean sheets. And we're getting clean sheets because the whole team is playing differently. 
It's not just, I mean, it, you know, the defenders. It's not just the change of the goalkeeper. It's the way the whole team's playing. And now we only have to score one goal because actually the team still doesn't, I mean, it does in terms of chances, but in terms of it being clinical, it still doesn't really look like it's regularly got two goals in it at the moment. But you don't need two goals to keep a clean sheet. And if you do one or two clean sheets, maybe you've had a couple of good games. But we've done a number now and we've done it against teams that, you know, are quite renowned for going forward. And, and they've yeah. looked pretty ordinary. And the way that we played Villa, you know, Grealish spent most of his time around the halfway line. When he can dive there, it's not going to make a lot of difference. You know, it's what he wants to get in there around the 18-yard box. And we stopped him and we did the same with Son. So, and that's clearly a team collective. And for me, I'm quite hopeful. And and yes, you know, we... What, I mean, ideally, when you look at a lot of those teams, some of those like Wolves at the moment that are struggling and, and, and Southampton at times, you know, usually it's because they've got one key goal scorer and they're not playing. I mean, we do like that, but I agree with Richard. You know, you could, you could go out and spend 30, 40, 50, 60 million and still not find that key player. But if we could get that goal scorer in whatever form, then I think we are definitely in with a hope of uh, top 10. But I'm enjoying the way we're playing. I, I mean, I've enjoyed it all season. I've been very much positive about Potter all the way along. Um, but I'm, I'm really pleased that he's being vindicated, at least by results. Because as, as I said, fans are fickle, but, you know, wins get you, you know, get you back in the team. Absolutely. Um, Rich? I um, I actually think the goal scorer is already in the squad. Um, and I think it might be Andona. I, I, I feel... Like he's on the cusp of a Lazarus esque comeback, <laughs> uh, where we thought this guy was gone from the club. You know that was it. Um, he is a good goal scorer. Who <laughs> there's just no doubting his ability, and he's actually got, I think, a couple of attributes that we're really missing, and that's nastiness and a little bit of aggression in the final third. Um, and I, yeah, I, I actually think when he's back up to, to full speed, he's the one. He's what's going to do it. That's my, that's my that's my gamble. Great shout. Well, he's a quality player on his day. It's just the head case factor, isn't it? But um, that's going to be an interesting shout. And I think you've given me some material for the uh, title for the episode as well now. Uh, so thanks for that one. <laughs> um, I mean, just on what Andy just said, um, yeah, I mean, part of the context, contextualising the two different eras, I mean, so much of what we've got now is is to do with the potential that is starting to be realised but hasn't reached its full uh, duration yet. So it's, it's a little bit hard to quantify even uh, looking at today's team in its own right. So, um, well, we'll have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, we'll get on to the Villa game next. So we'll, we'll just take a quick pause. And when we come back, it'll be all about Villa. Well, all, all about Albion, actually. Let's back in a sec. So in part two, we're going to be talking about the Aston Villa game on uh, from Saturday night and uh, slightly frustrating one after the way, given the way we played, which I think was one of our best performances of the season, but also really encouraging in a lot of ways and sense that, especially from my point of view, I think we probably would have lost that a few months ago. And yeah, given what's happened, I, I think we've improved significantly. Um, guys, any initial thoughts? Was it the right team from the start, do you think? Well, yeah, um, I was just going to sort of piggyback on the, back of what Andy was saying earlier about why things have changed in terms of results. Um, because I, th- I thought that, yeah, the lineup, the lineup was probably picks itself at the moment. And I think for, apart from uh, the obvious exception of Adam Webster, who would definitely come back in when he's fit again. But I think other players that are out, going to, going to struggle. I think Lamptey's going to struggle now. To be an automatic first choice, as soon, you know, for the next game, um, certainly at the expense of Veltman, because this has just been absolutely brilliant. And I think this 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 game um, really signified how far we've come. And I think Andy's right. We've, you know, quite often in the in the post match reviews, we'll hear about how oh, you know, Spurs went up to their usual game, Liverpool went up to their usual game, Villa went up to their usual game, Brighton gave City a a good game on a, on a, you know, when they're off the ball. Well, no, there's a reason why, you know, these games turned out like they did. And it is because of how we play collectively as a team. And one thing I think Andy w- was pointing out, 
we we're not really making stupid mistakes anymore. I think that that, that naivety that that we showed displayed at the, the beginning of the season is slowly being um, evaporated by you know just like the pure experience of, of these games that are coming thick and fast. I think the likes of like Ben White, I think, is twice the player he was in in his first game this this season. He's really looking good now. Um, but also we you know with Grealish like you said it was like mostly not in danger areas of the picks because we kept winning the ball back every time every time there was a contested challenge we had a decent chance of winning it back um, so we're not we're not giving the ball we're not handing the ball away on, on a plate to the opposition in a way that that we may have done earlier in the season and it's made a huge difference it's provided that platform for us to move those that get that transition really working smoothly we've we've got two modes of doing it now we we have the the playing it through the middle um which is sort of our sort of nice little intricate play and stuff but we're also not afraid to get a nice 40 50 yard big ball up big ball up front maybe out to the wings and then bring other players in that way we're also because of that we're now getting more players in the box you know still frustrated by the lack of but you know, by not getting scoring multiple goals in a game, but I think with this game, the thing that marked this game out was we weren't really ruining that many missed chances. McAllister very early on, I think you know he won't need telling that he, he should have done better with it. But otherwise, the goalkeeper had a really good, really good game. I thought the saves from Feltman, Byrne, and Welbeck were class, and against another keeper would probably have been goals. So it was. It was a really, really good team performance. Again, I couldn't mark anybody lower than a seven and a half out of ten, and I, you know, I just give Feldman the nine for man of the match. But um, I just thought it was it's a pleasure. And the thing is, we're, we're doing that every week, even in the the game against Leicester in the cup. After like you know, a sort of torrid opening fifteen minutes or so, we we just got into a groove. This is how we play now. And we play it most of the time. There'll, there'll be the odd game where we get, where we might get mugged off or something like that. But, but this is our sort of default way of playing, and it's good quality. And they're doing it week in, week out. If we could just, you know, get more than one goal, it would it would make our life a little bit easier. But, but you know, but we are getting there. We are seeing the progress. Um, and. I think yeah. The, yeah, the manager deserves credit, but the players do as well because the players are clearly whatever they're working on, they're they're learning from it and improving themselves. Absolutely, I, 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 Monday could be quite a good time to get that for the uh, and maybe three or so. four more. Let's hope so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the good thing. We for, for once we've now got a rest, haven't we? Midweek for a change. Um, so we've got actually because it's a Monday night match, is actually a nine game. Uh, sorry, a, a nine day um, gap between matches for. A chance to actually recoup ourselves a bit. Um, in terms of, for me, the game, I think I agree with everything you just said there, really, Andy. It's, it's spot on. I think Veltman was outstanding. I think Trossard was as well, really influential in the further forward position. Um, mind you, Veltman got forward a fair bit himself, didn't he? Um, and I, I just think, yeah, we're stifling teams, as the other Andy was saying, um, you know, teams that are renowned for scoring goals, playing attacking football in the short or long term, Leeds, Liverpool, Leicester, now Villa, who've been on form and generally are quite an attacking team anyway. Um, we've restricted them all right down. Leicester, it's one silly mistake aside. We've, um, again, we get one goal in that match. We, we knock Leicester out of the FA Cup away from home if we, if we don't make that mistake at the end. So everything's going in the right direction, definitely, I, I think. So back, back to the other Andy now, Andy, back, uh, Andy Bravery, sorry. Well, what I wanted to add to that was, and I think that's the key, along with the stifling, we haven't actually compromised anything going forward. In fact, actually, we look like we're getting more players in the box. And I think one of the delights about McAllister is he will have a go. And I think other players are seeing that and doing the same. I think um, sometimes with more pay, I wish sometimes with more pay, a little bit more awareness when he's on the ball about who might be the best pass. But I think as well with him at the moment, you know, he's a goal scorer and he wants a goal. So I think there are occasions when he's possibly thinking, I'm going to score here rather than maybe give it to Gross who's in space. But, you know, you can't really complain at the moment. And and it's 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 good to see that actually, yeah, we've tightened up 
Um, and we certainly tightened up from dead ball situations. But going forward, we've not really compromised at all. If anything, we've got better. And I think we will start getting, you know, games where we get a second goal. And hopefully we can then see those games out and they'll start against Palace. Yeah. Um, Rich, do you want to pop back in with that on that one? What's your, what's your view on the game? Uh, well, I've just, uh, there's a really good article in The Athletic this week um, that looked at Veltman's um, heat map um, and compared it to uh, Lamptey's in his last uh, 90 minutes, or however long it was, against um, Southampton in December. Uh, and it was just, it was almost identical. Veltman gave us the same amount going forward as Lamptey did, but with the added benefit that Veltman completely took Grealish out of the game. And that shouldn't be underestimated. Before, you know, before this game, we had fans up and down the country saying, get Jack Grealish in the England team. He's the, he's the answer to our creative problems in the England squad. Veltman took him out. Veltman just removed him from the picture and yet still had a couple of decent efforts on, on goal in, in the first half and, and then most notably in the second. Um, it was almost a complete performance from him. And despite the fact he hasn't got the, the sort of you know, incredible pace that is just such a feature of Lamptey's game, he, he, you know, it's the, the cliche of being a Rolls Royce is so perfect for Veltman. He's good on the ball. He doesn't lose it. He picks his passes. He, he works incredibly hard. Um, he, he's, he's, it was almost the, uh, the best performance um, I've seen from a Brighton player this season. I think it was incredible. Yeah. yeah. So Roller is his new nickname as of this moment, <laughs> I reckon. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that, two points on that. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and um, England, if we play Holland in the Euros, oops, that's going to be a problem if Jack Grealish is playing now. Slippery Jack will get no slippery... Um, joy out of him by the sounds of it um the other point i was going to make is i watched the highlights of match of the day i haven't watched the extended highlights on the club site yet but um watching it back Grealish wasn't mentioned at all which um is incredible i, I don't remember him being mentioned anyway um during the whatever it was several minutes of highlights we had um which speaks volumes because he's normally at the center of over 50 percent of the of the action you're watching to be honest yeah uh peter I've, I've, you know, I echo everything that's been said about Veltman. I think he's been, I personally don't think he's had a bad game for us. Even when we've had poor games, he's been probably the one who stood out as being, you know, decent still. Um, I, I can't, I don't, rarely have we done a better business for one million, less than one million pounds than, than on him. And yeah, I mean, he's just made up for the fact that, you know, as, as Richard was saying, was like, even though he's not got the pace of Lamptey, which we thought was like going to be an issue in terms of attacking and, uh, you know, limiting our attacks, has actually turned out to be, no issue at all. And on top of those shots, he also put the cross in for McAllister, which was a fantastic cross. And yeah, as, uh, as Andy said earlier, he should have scored that probably. And that was the one, the one real chance. And I, I agree with what the other Andy was saying about, you know, one or two times when, when Mope could have passed when he shot. And I think McAllister as well sometimes, although I'm glad that he tries to shoot, I do think there's sometimes him, with him as well, sometimes he could pass and that, you know, the wrong options taken. My one other interesting thought was this, so I don't know, maybe it isn't interesting, is of all the teams we played recently, Burnley, who are renowned for being defensive and obdurate, were the one team who actually had more shots than us and yeah. actually attacked us. I- ironic, really, considering what you know what they're renowned for being solid and not really attacking much. I think Dyche yeah. got the better of Potter actually on that game, which was really yeah, interesting because you wouldn't necessarily think of Dyche as a sort of tactical genius, but um, no. actually every time Potter changed the formation and the system, Dyche counted it. Almost immediately, yeah. it, was, it was really and good. He, um, yeah, I mean, they played sort of a really weirdly gung ho, adventurous looking brand of football, didn't they, for a bit in that second half? And, and obviously, it manifested by the fact they'd beaten Palace 3 0 away. <laughs> um, that's, um, that's kind of borne out the fact that they seem to be into a rich vein of form, which, given they're playing Fulham and West Brom next, is um, not boding well for, the, um, for those latter teams. But for Burnley themselves, looks like they might be able to steer clear of any lingering dangers um andy bravery back to you sir well i just wanted to pick up on that with peter because I, I wondered whether actually that the one chink in our armor might be when we come up against teams with quite robust forwards and play a bit more direct rather than around the midfield and i'm thinking about when we play um for what i saw the other day about well, when we play west brom in a couple of weeks whether that might be a bit more of a challenge so so yes i i get um 
um, Dyche's tactics. I mean, I think he's a very underrated manager, Dyche. He's a lot. There's a lot more to him than just, um, you know, kick it up the field and see what happens. I also wonder whether there might be a bit of the physicality and whether that might have an impact. It'd be interesting to see. I, I agree. I mean, we've always historically struggled against that sort of team. You know, it's not a recent phenomenon. Even in the Championship, we struggled more against teams who who get it forward and have big, strong players. And it'd be interesting to see how we do against it in set pieces against um, West Brom. Because last time we went there, we got, we got I think we lost two 0 with two corners, and they were a pretty similarly sized team. And we were we were dreadful up there. I think in the the first season mm-hmm. up. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the next two games, especially with Fulham winning last night and then, then having two more games before we play again, they're going to be quite big, the Palace and West Brom ones. If we can get four points from those two, we're reasonably well-placed. But if not, Fulham have got you know some winnable games coming up. Yeah, bizarrely, they, they could be two points behind us by the time we kick off against Palace because they've got that surprise 2-0 win at Everton and then they've got, as I said, they've got the game in hand with Burnley and then they've got the next match at the weekend I, before our Monday night game. United home as well, so very winnable. They've got the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we go to Andy Bass next and then, then back to Andy Bravery? So, and Andy Bass first, sir. Um, well, sorry, I was just shaking my head at the memory of that last visit to the Hawthorns, which was oh, God. <laughs> just, just, just dreadful. Um, I, think, um, I, think about, I think it's a valid point about us playing those overtly physical teams that just yeah, impose, their, impose their will, even if it's in a slightly crude fashion. Although I thought Burnley were excellent in that game. And they totally outplayed us, and, and really, you know, they were they were the team bemoaning the fact that they didn't win. And uh, if they had won, it would have been um, deserved. Um, but I did think we were very leggy in that game. I think that was a contributing factor. I think the Spurs and Liverpool games had exhausted us a little bit. But um, I think Richard's right. I think Sean Dyche is a much better manager than people give him credit for. And we got done there, and I think we should be able to hold our hands up and just say, you know, well played to them. Um, yeah. I think the other thing is, I mean, the good thing with us at the moment is we are quite flexible on tactics and we're looking comfortable in more than one formation, which is another thing that Graham's instilled in us over time. Um, I mean, the BBC are describing it as a um, 4 one three, two on their website. I think that's probably about right on balance, albeit it's a flexible form. Um with Veltman, White, Duncan, Byrne at the back, Basuma in the holding, and then Gross right side, Alzate left, McAllister middle of a front uh, of a midfield three, and then Trossard, I, I probably would describe as a forward in this game, certainly alongside Morpé, pretty much for the way it was played. But it is quite a flexible form, and um, Andy, Andy Bravery, I don't know if you'd agree with that, and also go to you with the point you were going to make anyway about, well, I mean, about I think, the game. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the thing with Potter. I think he's, he, you know, he plays very fluid tactics. I mean. Um, hmm. Pep Guardiola talks a lot about how he changes it during the game and how impressed he's been by that. But just going back to the other point about the, the you know the robust forwards. I mean, if there's one player that I've seen Dunk play against over the last two or three years, who always gives him a really hard game, it's Fulham's Mitrovic. And I have to say, I was quite pleased when he was on the bench, and even when he came on for ten minutes, he nearly changed it. And I and I'm just wondering as the, the guy at West Brom whether he may have the same impact. And that's the only time I really see Dunk looking particularly particularly uncomfortable. Usually when he's playing him and he's getting bullied a bit. And um and I think Webster has that potential as well. So it'd be really good, it'd be really interested to see how they um you know how they stack up against um West Brom and you know possibly Palace depending on who's who's up front for them. Yeah their new forward um is it and in, in Di- in or and in- uh, from from Galatasaray or something like that looks quite useful and quite although not the most mobile quite physical and we may yeah he may be the sort of player we do struggle against I agree with you about Mitrovic although they've not been playing with him I was quite glad to see him on the bench both times because I still remember him bullying us in that 4-2 and Duncan Duffy getting absolutely you know, massively bullied by him and mm. uh, it, it costing us mass- in, the, in that second half so yeah. I was very glad he didn't play and he's the sort of nasty nasty kind of thuggish sort of player we struggle against yeah yeah. yeah, just one other thing actually on the um, on the BBC website, just sticking with what I was looking at there, I noticed that their ratings, Trossard, they've got just ahead of Veltman for us, um, but actually both of whom are behind Martinez, Mings and Target in the ratings overall, which I don't know is in one sense a compliment to the fact we were playing well, but also at the same time, you know, as you said, keeping Jack Greenish quiet versus our strikers, surely more credit has to go to Veltman, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> without being too. Those ratings are all a bit weird, though, aren't they? Yeah, they are a bit strange, yeah. But I mean, quite odd. The stats are good. Interestingly, we had 58% in this one, um, which is pretty good. Uh, 26 shots to four, nine on, on target to one, which is phenomenal. 
and yeah, lots more corners as well. Game. I think it's something I read somewhere. Or what was that, sorry, Pete? Was it our most shots ever in any Premier League game ever, I think, or something? That's got to be up there, isn't it? I know Palace. Did we have quite a few in the Palace game? I can't remember now. I've got a feeling those. Yeah, they might have all. Yeah, but apart from that, I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's phenomenal. It's great. It's great to see. You've got to love it. Um, it obviously, we, we didn't get the, the win, which would have been great, especially given what we just mentioned about Fulham. If if they happen to go on a mini run, that can make things a bit nervy. In the but end, I do I think other we didn't lose it because I could just see them breaking away and nipping a deflection or something like that, or. Grealish somehow, you know, getting a goal like he always often does against us. So in the end, I was yeah. quite glad it was a draw. To be honest, you know, we didn't lose. We didn't ever look it, like conceding really. It's Newcastle yeah. that need to be worried about Fulham putting a run together. I think. Not yeah, right, I think so too. Opinion. Yeah, they're they're in free fall. Um, I think Palace are probably they're probably already done just enough to be able to. Well, I don't know about relax, but to to feel fairly comfortable. Um, Newcastle yeah, yeah, just we, we, we win against them on um, Monday. We're ahead of them. So yeah, on goal difference, right. yeah. That's the other importance of that draw mm. that we had at the weekends with think, Palace um, losing. I think Newcastle got a few injuries as well, haven't they? To keep yeah, Wilson, yeah. Again. Wilson. Yeah, Wilson in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I called it a few weeks ago that Newcastle could be in trouble and it's looking that way at the moment. I mean they're looking dejected, they're looking down. Steve Bruce looks partly frustrated, but partly in despair. Obviously the injury is partly to do with <laughs> partly that. completely out of his depth. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, um, well, I I, th- I think they might still drop. It's it's likely that Fulham won't pull enough points together to overhaul them, but it's still possible. Um, I kind of quite like to see it because they're sticking with with Parker, and it'd be good to see him earn a second season. I think just on effort alone, really. I mean, they just look like they're more up for it than, than Newcastle. On that basis, you kind of want them to survive, don't you? Um, Albeit not at our expense, of course. Well, also, um, maybe next season we're better off with Newcastle with Ashley still in charge uh, and Bruce still there. That to, to, yeah, that's true. Fulham, who just stayed up and are building on it with a you know with, with money. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that is a good point. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. Just um, a couple of quick things to mention. Um, first of all, I've been in touch with a few people, gauging some information about the pod, what people think, and. Um, one of them is a friend of the show, listens regularly, uh, or listens to all of them, apparently, um, Keith Tomkins. So hello to you, Keith. Always great chatting. He gave me a call back on the phone the other day. Good to hear from him. Unfortunately, he'd actually suffered a stroke just when he was about to go out to uh, to meet mutual friends, the Lockies, uh, to watch the Man U game. And um, he, um, he had suffered a stroke. He's thankfully OK. Uh, he sounded himself when I spoke to him on the phone. But um, hope you're keeping well, Keith. It's great you're listening. Keep up the good work. And uh, thanks for the feedback as well, which is all good. He mentioned that he's, uh, his old nickname was Pornstar on the basis that uh, he vowed not to shave off the moustache he had until we won a game. And it backfired pretty badly for a while there. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had something of a magnificent... Uh, facial arrangement going on um but anyway uh he's also the guy who used to get the tea orders in for us all at the uh with dean i've mentioned uh, an anecdote about that in the past so hello to you keith um as usual if you want to contact the show it's uh twitter it's at brighton rock pod or email brighton rock podcast at gmail.com um in terms of footy news we won't really cover much and we've had the usual daily races and it's Marshall this time apparently with a very snippy comment following up from Troy Townsend about Instagram with their powder puff responses because apparently um, Danda the guy at Swansea um, who was racially abused they just ticked off the person uh, pretty much just restricting their account for a while really strong action from Instagram after what they said they were going to do and we talk about long trips in the past. Um, there's a couple of horrendous ones for lower league teams. 600-mile round trips in midweek last week for the O's of Orient to Carlisle with an overnighter, all prepared for it, and then they had to come home without playing, frozen pitch being the reason. And Exeter went all the way up to Barrow on the same day, and their game got cancelled. Um, nothing I could do about it. It's horrendous. Happy days. you remember, remember any of those little trips? I think... Um, some people I know went to a game. I think it was Norwich, wasn't it? Where they went all the way. Yeah, I went to that Norwich game, and I went to Blackburn when, when the game was called off. Just literally, as we were going in, getting into Blackburn Station, and the, uh, oh, the joy. game was called off a couple of hours before kickoff. And yeah. yeah, well, we could probably do a whole podcast on that. So we won't go into too much detail. But Andy Bass has got his hand up. <laughs> what have you got um, a story me. along those lines? Yeah. It was me. 
Sorry, I, I, did, bravery, um, sorry. I had three three attempts at going to Halifax away. First one stopped at Crawley. <laughs> the second one stopped at the uh, top of the M6, where it's the M62. And the third one, I finally got to see the game. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, dearie me. Sorry about mixing up the Andes. I'll make it even more complicated than it already is. Um, it is quite refreshing, I think, that we're back to the normal British winter like blocking games rather than it being COVID that's causing the postponements. It's quite refreshing that it's like icy <laughs> and, you know, we're back to, the, to normality almost, you feel, rather than it being like five games called off because of COVID, it's back to the, the British weather is screwing up football as normal. Yes, the traditional reasons for it being yeah. screwed up. That's that's what we like. We feel more comfortable. We feel like you're back to normal almost, you know. <laughs> um, we will be doing a preview show um, for the Palace game sometime late, recording later in the midweek. Um, in the meantime, and speaking of long trips, um, one of the longest trips I ever had was with Rich in the car. No disrespect to him because um, it was nothing to do with him as such. Um, you'll probably already know what I'm talking about. It felt the longest trip. Um, the Palace playoff game. We drove to that match, didn't we? Or I, or I drove back, I think. Um, and um, I can't remember us having more than a very limited amount of conversation. We were in such numbed depression, weren't we, on the way back? I don't know if you remember that. That was a very long, very quiet <laughs> drive. <laughs> it was surreal. As was the uh, Falmer Station, was the, was the most surreal thing I've ever seen. There's thousands of people in virtual, complete silence. Um I think that's one of the most surreal moments of football I think I've ever experienced. And uh, yeah, but um, are we going to be in a happier mood? Do you, uh, do you think, Rich, when we uh, come away from, not from the grounds, but from our TV screens at about 10 o'clock on Monday night? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is going to, yeah. I, uh, yes, I think, we, I, I think everything's going to click. Um, I think yeah. we're on the up. We're playing good football. I think um, they're the total opposite. Uh, it, it, everything sort of goes out the, the window when, when it's these matches. Um, I just think we've got the beating of them. Um, I think yeah. I think I felt that actually in the playoff game as well. And it, it didn't go our way. But I, um, yeah, I, I, I think this is our this is our time now. We've waited a long time to yeah. actually batter palace and i'm uh, i'm quietly confident this might be this might be the game we, yeah, we the keep a lot of the quality players quiet haven't we bogey bogey players as well as our may or may not be in the team but i feel confident we can win this even if he is back i've got a feeling we're going to win this and draw with west brom but uh, peter i was going to say we owe them after that fast of a penalty up at selhurst where we were which was i still don't understand quite how they could get not only give that but also they look at are and still believe it was a penalty and it was one shot all game, pretty much, wasn't it? And we absolutely hammered them. And hopefully this time similar will happen and we're actually a bit more, you know, we do convert some more some of our chances rather than, yeah, I mean, obviously took a quite late goal last time to get the point. So, and we battled yeah. it last year as well, didn't we? I think remember Dunk had a shot headed off of the line by Mope or whatever at one point and, and they nicked a goal on the counter-attack. So we definitely are due a... Mope's face, wasn't it? Mope's face, I yeah. think. Yeah. But, but um, yeah. Yeah, Max, the last time we were all there. Um, we we were happy VAR was coming in for the the very reason that it wasn't used properly in that Palace game wasn't it to to negate ridiculous decisions and they they very much failed to do so Lampty's like five foot four and he breathed near the guy and somehow they got a penalty (laughs) I think it would Um, be peak Brighton to go to to play Palace and uh, pull off a once in a lifetime style hammering of them um, and none of us get to be there yeah, enjoy yeah. It. it would be absolutely, very fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think it'll either be like three or four nil to us, or they'll nick it one nil like they did last year. If it's going to be one or the other, I don't think they're going to win comfortably, and I don't think it'll, I can see it's either if we get an early goal, really going on and winning it comfortably, or just then the longer it goes nil nil, the more nervous we get, and somehow they nick a goal from a deflection or a Zaha probably scores because he's yeah makes a Lazarus like recovery and somehow manages to come on. Um, Andy, Andy Bass, I mean Andy Bass this time as well. I'm, I'm aiming for the right Andy. Andy Bass, your views quickly on the game in case we don't speak to you beforehand. What do you reckon? We do it. You know, logic yeah. take. I just, it's about time. And if, you know, if this is going to be the game that breaks our sort of only single, single goal scoring streak, then so be it. We, we've earned this, I think. I'm sick and tired of them being so demonstrably rubbish, but somehow eking out ugly wins in fortunate fashion. 
I'm sick and tired of us having 20 shots against them and, only, <laughs> and it's still not being enough. So let's do it. As I'm, I've, I've had it with them, so let's do it. Okay, right. good. And Andy Bravery, bragging rights by the school gate uh, coming up, is it, do you it, think? Wouldn't it be lovely? Wouldn't it be lovely? Um, and if and if we can kind of um, get back to grassroots football, it'd be even more bragging rights. I mean, I think Richard talks, talks total logical sense, but it's Palace. So I've got to say, if you offer me a draw now, I'd take it. Um, but if we're winning 1-0 with a minute to go, then then you can stuff your draw. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that maybe if we do win, we beat them three or four nil, and and they can just be quiet for a few months. Yeah. Oh, they're not. I can't, they're, I can't not very, agree. they're not confident up here, I'm afraid. No. The, the Palace, I, I, well, I'm, no. Please, they're not. The Palace fans are not confident up here. They're they um they're all waiting for Roy Roy to say he's not going to um be the manager next year, and then the um mm. local point <laughs> advertiser he said anything but he's still thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. I don't think he's <laughs> thinking got, about like, it at 13, all. Is he? <laughs> 13 players out of contract yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah. That's a good down. Squad, anyway. that is, isn't it? Really good. That, that is. Well done, Dougie that's Freeman. Not good. No, well that's done, not Dougie good. Freeman. You've They're down next season. Exactly. They're so, down yeah, next season. If, yeah, not this year, but next year. And, and I think um, I can't agree about taking a point, though. I, uh, the only reason I'd ever take a point against Palace is if we're playing a playoff and we've won the first leg, or if um, we're playing the last game of the season and we're above them and, and there's nothing riding yeah. on the game right. of Beyond like, positions, I think. All, all, but but apart I, from that, I agree with you. Yeah, all I all I can say is that like if we lose, you don't know what my reality looks like. So you know, you might <laughs> want to play safe occasionally. But you know, let's go for a win. Why not? Self isolation for a year or something. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with COVID, just self isolate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, on that note, any other burning questions for anyone? Well, I if, if... Say that, yeah, I, although obviously last year wasn't that great, I, that that one under Hughton might be one three one at home. And had Duffy sent off, and we still won with like ten men for so long. Was was epic. That was a, and then going to Selhurst and did a double as well with that goal for knockout was that was a, you know it's only really two seasons ago since we did a double over them. So even though it feels like sometimes we don't turn up, sometimes it actually that season we were brilliant. And that Andoni goal that season was ridiculous. I mean, from the halfway line to take on about three players and you know, and kind of then yeah just play, play it into the bottom corner was yeah I think that's one of my favourite Amex moments that. Rich is picturing him coming back into the equation and next season sending them down with one of those goals, maybe. Yes, please. Look at this yes, place. <laughs> oh. I, I would love I would the... love it if it came down to Brighton playing out a, a, a board draw with some other team at the bottom um and the point relegating relegating <laughs> Palette. That would oh God, that would be sweet, wouldn't it? I think the other the other beauty about that knockout goal, other than the fact you don't you hardly ever saw him do something like that, was the fact that he's arguably he should have even been on the pitch. Yeah, that's, that made it all well, the early on in the game. That oh, <laughs> that celebration is the thing of legends, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even and even Murray's going like that because you know underneath he's really laughing and he can't do it for the pack fans because a mixture of shock like, and like, and amusement, wasn't it? On Murray's face, that was just that was delicious as well. But one of one of the great memories, and let's hope um, come Monday night we're, albeit we're going to have to miss out on seeing it in person. Um, let's hope we are having similar memories to experience in terms of what happens on the pitch in that match. Um, well, guys, it's been a pleasure as always to Peter, to the Andes, and especially to Rich for your debut. And um, thanks for coming on the show. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, yeah, no worries at all. We'll have to do it again sometime. And um, in the meantime, guys, um, we'll sign out in the usual fashion, won't we, Peter, by saying stand or fall up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.